this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I need to do this all day. The Matt Sodnicker Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. Thank you for listening. I appreciate everybody sending uh, feedback and suggestions. It means a lot. I see them all. Thank you so much for that. With me today is a friend and business associate, Scott Smeester. He is the managing director of CIO Mastermind here in Denver. He's been a CIO and a CTO here in the Denver marketplace, the Denver space. And just wanted to dig into CIO Mastermind and CIOs in general. And with that, Scott, thanks for making the time this morning. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. So just for clarity, um, define the difference between a CIO and a CTO, just so we have some common terminology for our conversation. Yeah, sure. For um, it's, it's general. It's a general thing. A CTO... Um, you're really going to see the differences in the um, hands-on level of experience and it will hands-on level of um, integration kind of into the technology itself. Um, the way I look at it, I like to look at a CIO as somebody who's reporting into the, the C-suite keeps a broad general knowledge of their technology. They just cannot keep up with it anymore. They can't be the coder. They can't be somebody who's integrating um data into platforms, blah, 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 blah. That's minutia. That's, that's stuff that um, the, uh, you know, kind of the more the people with the boots on the ground need to do. And a lot of times a CTO will do that. A CTO has such a really good, strong um, grasp of the technology and is driven by the technology is passionate about the technology. That's kind of a difference. And then, you know, the, the CIO, is in my opinion somebody who um, uh, was a CTO or played the CTO um, still probably had the passion for the technology but now has has um, kind of um, found more of the passion in 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 consulting the team the executive leadership into making better decisions um, for the strategy of the business as well as reducing risk and and whatnot via cybersecurity. Well, and you mentioned in that. a nutshell. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Thank you. And you mentioned that the the landscape and the technology is changing so fast. And you mentioned risk. And you know, coming from the mm-hmm. uh, IT space here in Denver, at what point does a CIO or a CTO just put a flag in the ground and go, "Look, we know that in six months, or a year, or even three months, this is all going to be different technically," and how do they just make that decision for the business on deciding what to implement, what to use? Cause it's so dynamic. So you bring up two couple of couple of different things. First of all, putting a stake in the ground that makes it sound to me like somebody needs to step up. They're coming from a, a position or a posture that they weren't, um, you know, they didn't have the ears of the stakeholders and they need to put a stake in the ground because oh, something happened or something's going to happen um, versus the person who's 
got it in control, who is, um, you know, has got the posture, the autonomy that they need as a CIO or CTO. So there's two different answers to that. So which one, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, that explains why I'm not a CIO or CTO because the phrasing of the question, but. Um, but what you but what you brought up is actually a big challenge within the industry. Uh, they don't have the, a lot of CIOs or CTOs or whoever um, are being held at arm's length from the C-suite or from board of directors, and um, it's it's the management of risk. When the board, when the stakeholders realize that they need to be running things different. It's not, sometimes it's the CIO or CTO that puts a stake in the ground, but sometimes it's the, the stakeholders that come to fruition and understand that they need to, to govern in a different manner. And then, then things can change. And yes, it, it, it's mostly about risk. It's about all the business lines and keeping the business lines running. And, it's, and, you, and you just look at it from a risk standpoint from any organization, what's our most important business line processes that we need to make sure function every single day. And then from there as a stakeholder, as a government, you know, as, as one of the board of directors, uh, from there, understanding the risk from all those business, the, the, the most important business um, functions move it down from there. What could happen to those business functions? What are those things? And that's really literally what a board of directors in the C-suite should be approaching it from. And then have direct reports from the CIOs, CTOs into that. Um, so that's kind of the way the structure should be working. And I, I hope I answered your question on that. Yeah, you did. And you brought up another question in that in that answer is why wouldn't a CIO have a seat at the table? Is it a, is it a new role? Is it um, just perception within the, in, in the industry? Why is that a challenge for a CIO? That's a great question, actually, Matt. Um, you know, the challenge is there's a, there's a couple of different challenges based on the history of the typical CIO. I'm going to be talking about the typical CIO. The typical CIO comes from network administration. The typical CIO comes from uh, programming. They they spent the years uh, administering the networks, working in the um, the uh, data centers, the cold data centers. Uh, they spent time, years and years and years, developing programs and applications. And literally, those types of roles are, um, you know, introvert type of roles. Um, and you don't really get a whole lot of experience in, in dealing with customers per, per, you know, on the first line of a lot of developers and network admins, as we know, <laughs> the geeks don't, aren't put in front of the, um, the customers, but the ones who do, who are, and have been, and the ones that have to report numbers to CEOs and things, they develop the skill set that, that is required to do that. But many don't. So many are appointed into those positions just because they have the technical aptitude to do to because they've come from that. So what happens a lot of times is that they're put in this position in reporting to the C-suite, yet they haven't learned how to actually report into the C-suite. So they're reporting all these numbers, acronyms, and 
after a while, what happens is the C-suite and the board of directors tend to put that person at arm's length because they just can't deal with all the data they can't deal with. And, and a CIO, a lot of CIOs and CTOs have difficulty putting their data into context that helps the board of directors. So we have a gap generally in industry um, between the, the, you know, the real stakeholders and the um, IT leadership within their organizations. And that's the gap that we're at that CIO mastermind that we're really trying to um, to to reduce uh, by making um, well by advocating, literally um, being in the middle of somebody that's not driven by the vendors to be able to tell both the CIOs what they need to hear honestly and from our heart what they need to know and what they need to do to become better um, IT leaders to their stakeholders, as well as stakeholders need to know their things too, you know? And so we're, we're telling them as well, the, the truth of what needs to happen in industry for all of us to be better, to, you know, just have better technology and have, have it service better. I remember as a engineer at Valley Lab up in Boulder, we were doing a code review because we were about to release this product and it was, you know, sending the code and the, all the documentation to the FDA for release and <laughs> looked back and <laughs> the VP of engineering was asleep <laughs> during my presentation. And, you know, it's one of those things, there's so much detail and there's so much nuance in the discussion about the technology that has to be filled in. And I would imagine it's a huge challenge to have raw numbers and raw data, put context to them, spin it up into an impact, whether it's, you know, 15 lines of code or whether it's, you know, a $10 million infrastructure or, you know, technology challenge for a business and how to learn to speak to maybe non-technical boards or CEOs. <laughs> I've been there at a low level. Yeah. Well, you know, the CIO Mastermind, um, and it's going in its third year, we created it to create peer advisory groups um, to get together to talk about their problems. Um, I've sat in on all of these meetings since the beginning, and um, we have CIOs in the group, um, a, a lot of them. And I have been in a lot of um, situations. So, so the way that we form, you know, the way that we format these meetings, these um, peer advisory groups between CIOs is we invite two um, CIOs or CTOs or whoever um, that's in the group per meeting to bring in their own specific challenge and something that they're working on and need input for. So it's an open give and take type of forum. It is facilitated. I see a lot of times when we, when we, when we schedule one of our CIOs for these what we call bottleneck sessions, a lot of them will do work ahead of time, which is great. They'll prepare for their their session. I've had, you know, a, a um, I'd say a, dis, a, a concerning amount of CIOs who have put together those presentations put together these presentations that make me go crazy because I, yeah, while I am an interim CIO and CTO and I have those capabilities, I actually have more of a drive to, for a CEO and a managing director and the stakeholders. 
And when I have to sit in these meetings and see these PowerPoint presentations with a thousand words on each um, slide, I'm like, <laughs> where did you, where's the common sense here, guys or the girl, whoever, it's usually the guys that do it wrong. The, the ladies are the best, um, but it's, uh, I see that a lot and that's where you see the driving. And that, so that's where from a, from a skill standpoint, I see that there's a gap and we need to, we need to kind of reduce that gap for sure. That's what we were about. Yeah. Let's get into the structure of CIO mastermind a little bit since you brought it up. And what I, what initially drew me to this and wanted to talk about it is that it's not um, ad hoc. It's not just people getting together for coffee and you've got um, I guess a, a gate or a barrier for vendors. And there's things I want to talk about with that too, but it's really, um, I don't know if these are the right two words, but tactical and strategic for CIOs to actually collaborate with others in their industry to solve real business problems. Correct. Yes, absolutely. Well, so the reason this was all started a number of years ago when I was doing, um, you know, C interim CIO and CTO work, um, I'd have a lot of, you know, companies and very significant companies come to me and um, want help. Uh, they, a lot of times, in fact, I mean, we're talking some very significant companies do not have CIOs. They have maybe an IT director or manager and that's all good and well, but, you know, there's a gap again there between the stakeholders and, and IT. It's just, there's this big gap and there's risk in that to the stakeholders, but that's beside the point. What I found as the interim CIO in these gigs was how could I perform? I started asking, you know, I'm driven to, 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 to deliver the best results that I can. And at the time I'm like, what can I do to deliver better results? You know, as a CIO, as a CTO, where, you know, and I started looking around, I, I went, you know, and I had been anyway, I've been going to networking events, I've been, you know, try to go to forums and try to at least rub elbows with CIOs and CTOs, my peers and things like that. And while those are good, and there's definitely a place for all that, because you really learn a lot. What I really wanted was a place where I could meet up with other, at least one, if not more CIOs or CTOs, executives out there that are doing it right or have, have a lot of experience and, 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 and meet with those folks. Um, not just once, but it would be best to be on a consistent basis, have an open forum, be able to talk, be able to put out my, my actual situation and get feedback and input back from that. So um, you know, I really, that's, that's kind of the whole thing on this. And then the other thing is, is that I want, I want to be able to trust who I'm listening to. In fact, that's one of the most important things right there. The most valuable thing in the industry right now is true trust in technology, who we would listen to prior to CIO mastermind the, only, the two players were either the buyer or the vendor, <laughs> basically in technology. Right. There's nobody out there sitting in the safe space saying, look, we don't represent either one of you per se, 
but we will tell you what we think in every situation. And so we designed this so that there's absolutely no vendors. We do not take any vendor money, or do anything with that. We're completely agnostic. And that's really important because that positions us, you know, that puts us in the posture of being able to tell the truth, the exact truth. The, and, and so we want, and our tagline is trusted insight. And that's what we're all about. And we position ourselves both for the stakeholders and for CIOs. CIO Mastermind is not just about CIOs and making them better in what they do or making them better politically, blah, blah, blah. We're actually accountable first to the stakeholders. CIO Mastermind was built for the stakeholders first and, and CIOs. Yes, we're going to make the CIO better, but for you and for your relationship as well. And we would love to be involved in those relationships as well, to be somebody who can increase trust from both sides. So that's uh, kind of what we do in a nutshell, <laughs> another <laughs> nutshell. <laughs> yeah. So I love the, uh, the agnostic part of it. I think the collaboration, people not feeling like they're on an Island because I've, I've experienced that in every role I've ever been in where some days, even though I've got managers, coworkers that nobody understands my particular challenge. And in, in the other part that I really am drawn to is sort of the agnostic, no vendor side of things. And uh, I had interviewed a friend, Mark Settle, who was, he had this book, Truth from the Trenches about IT management. And one question he had in there that I actually use as a salesperson is I'll ask uh, the C-suite when I'm talking to them, do you know how your vendors are compensated? That was his question in the book. Yeah. And it, it's one of those game changer questions where it makes me look really smart. And I always give credit to Mark when I ask it, cause I wish I came up with it, but I've seen it in every industry, the bike industry. I've seen it in it where, um, you know, if you're going into a bike shop, not, and this is not an indictment of the entire industry, but I've seen it where sometimes you go in and it's like, you know, that's the bike they have on the floor that they need to sell. And then it becomes the bike for you, but is it the best bike for you? And they, they need to pay their bills and do that. Yeah. And I've seen it happen in it where there's end of quarter, end of year spiffs or incentives and that salesperson and again, this is going to be a very negative generalization, but, oh, they're looking to hit their, you know, get their bonus so they can pay for their vacation. But is that implementation, that product or service, the best for the customer? And so Mark's question, how are you incentivized is really powerful. And then it kind of yeah, just indeed. peeks, you know, around the corner to see what's going on. And so, yeah. Well, when I, when I was, you know, when I, a couple of years ago, prior to setting, starting CIO Mastermind um, as a CIO, um, CTO, whatever, I had to deal a lot with cybersecurity issues, obviously, and still do. And when I was talking to this stakeholder, uh, the boards or the C-levels, and I would, you know, ask them about, um, you know, how do they you know, what do you know about your risk? Do you know where you are? What's your standing on, um, 
with cybersecurity? How do you feel? How comfortable do you feel? Well, they would automatically, what they would generally try to do back then was throw it over the fence, say, oh, you know, I don't handle that. That's our IT people. <laughs> you know, that's an IT thing. Well, I'd say, okay, well, I'll, you know, they were like, go talk to them. Back when I was naive, I'd be like, I would go talk to, you know, the, 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 the IT and I would actually do research. And you know what I would find? You know what I would find? I would find that they're doing what they needed to do to make the stakeholders happy. That definitely doesn't necessarily mean that they're positioning themselves in the, in the um, position of the lowest risk. That, no, what they did was just make sure that their stakeholders happy with the reports that they were you know, providing. So I determined real early on, well, you gotta analyze not just the vendors, you gotta find out what every direction is, you know, where's their motivation because somebody's got skin in the game the the employee has skin in the game they want to keep their job there's motivation there there's motivation to to give you what you need to make you happy and if something were to happen well hey you know but that's not the right thing you know somebody needs to get in there and really um well somebody really needs the autonomy of a cio but even a cio at companies even let's pretend that there even is a cio at a company I'm willing to bet that probably eight out of 10 CIOs need help within their company. So let's pretend their company was smart enough and their stakeholders are smart enough. Say, we need a CIO. We need somebody to really lead that charge. Eight out of 10 are still being held at arm's length uh, because they're not quite trusted for various reasons. They're just not quite there. And so that's, we play the role of, um, you know, helping CIOs be able to come to the table and have a place and a safe place to be able to get trusted insight. But we also want that trusted insight to be, um, uh, you know, extended into the boardroom and to the, and to the CEOs and CFOs um, because they oftentimes are just sitting there not knowing if what their CIO or CTO is giving them back is something that they really should act on or not because of years and years and years of already, you know, have an IT do nothing but come for more money <laughs> as opposed to working with them. So that's what we're, I mean, yeah, there's a big gap. <laughs> that's the one we're filling. <laughs> <laughs> can you take me through uh, a session and without if you can, without divulging any company names or anything confidential and proprietary, but maybe in a general sense about <clears throat> one CIO brought in a, a big hairy problem and just take me through the collaboration, the questions, the philosophy, the thought process of what one of the peer advisory groups go through. Or if you can't give a specific example and mm -hmm. generic genericize it enough to make sense, maybe just like the structure of how, how it's run. Cause I'm fascinated by that too. Yeah. So um, all our sessions are scheduled for two hours. They can go up to two and a half hours. We invite two CIOs or um, I, I, and just for the audience, when I say CIO, I'm using that term for the highest IT person that reports into the stakeholders. So CIO, I'm just using as a general term that mm. will include CTOs that could include IT directors that could include an office manager who is just making sure there's backups done um, in a small company. But 
Uh, remind me the question again. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can provide like a problem oh, yeah. that got solved yeah. or, okay. and maybe this, let's do both. If you can do the problem that got solved and then kind of the structure, and those would probably be interwoven into that answer, I would reckon. Yeah. So, well, we have one CIO, one of our early CIOs that we've just recently um, published a case study on this. So it is public. The name of the company is Encore Electric. The um, CIO is Jeff Can here in Denver. It's a, it's a, a very successful um, electric um, supplier for the industry, for the construction industry. Um, the situation was um, trying to get buy-in uh, I mean, there's a lot of, there was a lot of things in this and, and I recommend getting the case study specifically, but I'll kind of go into generally what it, you know, what it is. And Jeff, um, you know, was getting questions from the board, from the stakeholders about um, security. How are we going to security strategies? What are we going to do? And um, Jeff leveraged uh, the group to come in and, and to get a strategy, to build a strategy that both that works for both, um, you know, the stakeholders, the CIO, as well as all the users and the people that were in the organization. And what we do is we we have these things called bottleneck sessions. We invite, you know, one or I should say two CIOs per meeting to come in with an issue. And we have a facilitator that walks through going through the background of the, the problem, um, walks the, the person in the quote unquote hot seat. That's what we call the person who is, is scheduled to be in the bottleneck is the hot seat. When they're in the hot seat, it's um, facilitated through a, a process of going through background on the problem uh, leading up to one question. What's the question that you want to ask the group? Um, and we take some time to go through that, uh, you know, 10 minutes actually maybe for, for that. But then, then we go into um, a, a discussion, a questioning um, round um, around the table. And, um, you know, at the end of the, and then, and then the third phase is um, allowing the table of CIOs to speak into that challenge through their history, through their experience, through things that they've seen work. And, um, and then from that, the CIO leaves with basically what we like to say it is, is it's a custom solution. You know, you're sitting around the table with very um, uh, experienced and um, um, highly knowledgeable IT executives with a lot of experience, uh, very valuable. And you're getting it from a different, different, a uh, couple of different industry standpoints. We don't, we don't, form these groups based on industry. We do form them based on size because that's the, the thing that's most important. But he comes away, Jeff came away with many different strategies that, um, well, not many, but the ones that he picked, the ones that surfaced to the top worked really well and then developed a case study. And it was very valuable to um, him. But that that's a very typical uh, situation for our CIOs. Uh, other people come sometimes with, um, with how to, you know, how to deal better at the leadership, how to deal better with, um, with the board. Maybe they have to report into the board on, um, security or strategies and how to do that. Uh, you know, 
what else? Uh, there's, there's all kinds of different topics, but we don't go into technology per se. Usually we are not talking about a, a particular technology or how to build out a platform. We're talking about leadership issues here, how to, how to, how to advance the organization through leadership and technology. Literally at the end of the day, that's what we're dealing with. Well, and I love the, the mindset of collaboration and seeking advice and different perspectives. And I think it's the fastest way to disaster is someone to either a think they know everything or b pretend that they know everything. And I would hope that in an organization that I would want to work for is that if I came back and had an idea or a solution for a problem, like, where did you come up with this? And I said that, Hey, I'm part of this group that is leveraging experience and leveraging all sorts of different avenues that I would hope that would be perceived as looking to solve the problem in the, in the best way possible. And I, I think it's probably, you know, unfair of anybody either as a parent or a teacher or a CIO or a CEO that I know everything. <laughs> it's like right. all everything that's leading up to this decision. I've got all the information I need all exclusively in my head. I just think that's a, a fallacy. And I, I love the, the, the collaboration of what you're doing. Think of, think if you're, just, just pretend real quick that you're a CEO in a significant organization, whatever, 100, 200 or more people, blah, blah, blah. It don't matter. It could be 10. And say you did have, you have an IT executive, the highest level IT executive, whatever that person's title is. Let's say you're there and you manage that person. Obviously they report into you. Uh, and they come to you with some big initiative that they want um, backing on money for whatever they want to talk to you about. And in your head, you know that the sources that this CIO is getting their information from were being influenced by through the years. You've got history now with your IT executive. And you know that they're either getting it from reading some things like that, or a lot of times a vendor or other employees or whatever, but you know, like subconsciously the CEO knows where these initiatives are coming from or the, the actual information. Now pretend you're the CEO and you know that your CIO is actually going to a group once a month, no vendors, absolutely. Um, and then if you look at our writings and the things that we publish, we're talking the truth. We're talking disruptive concepts from a leadership standpoint for CIOs. And you know that they're getting honest input from a round table of very highly experienced uh, you know, leaders in IT and you know that your CIO is coming back to you with these initiatives from that, the trust level goes way up, way up. I would totally agree. And, and that's all a subconscious, instantaneous, don't even think about it. That's what the CEO 
has in their her head. Where is this person? How is this person being influenced? And that's why, it, because I knew it. I've been there. I know that me, even as a CIO, CTO, back before I created this, that was where I got my influence. That was where I got my answers. I could only come to the table to the stakeholders with vendor solutions. And that was it. I couldn't say who, who was I being backed by? Who, not only, you know, do I believe in this, but let me tell you what I went through or what, you know, here's the reason, here's all the, here's all my other peers who have the same opinion or not. They actually guided me down this other direction. One way or the other, the stakeholders know that there's trust or not. To answer your question, yeah, as that CEO, I would feel more comfortable with the objectivity of the information coming in, the objectivity of the influence. Absolutely, I would. Yeah. And it was one of the things- You would want to know that that influencer actually has your best interest at heart too. Right, right. And that's what we are adamant about, again- we're here for the stakeholder, not the CIO per se. And, and maybe it's my just life experience, but I tend to think that broader work and life experience, and I would talk about this when I would sell consulting, is that kind of in the same way that you're talking about, we've got, we've got people that work across all different industries. We've seen all different flavors and smells and styles of people and industry and challenges. And I just think that uh, a generalist, somebody that's wide, but shallow in terms of the experience can solve a, a larger degree of problems. And you know, I, I could be wrong in that. And I'm sure I am in some cases, but yeah, just the objectivity of the influence to me, it would absolutely build that trust up because as a CEO, I'd want to, I'd want to trust and empower my CIO and CTO because ultimately I'm going to sign off on the decision. It'll be my, you know, the buck will stop on my desk, but I would just want to battle test the decision. And I'd feel much better that if somebody was talking to other humans, as opposed to, newsletters or books or their experience yeah that would that would make me feel a lot more comfortable as as the captain of that company well think of you know i like to look at what's kind of a a similar situation that might have happened in business in the history of business where technology could could model the you know IT could model it after something that has already happened to make it a better and better functioning entity of the organization. And I'll tell you what that is. It's money. Money, pretend that you had a company bringing in all kinds of money and you had a bookkeeper, but that's all you had. You had nobody else helping with the decisions of the money. Nobody, you know, so if you, if you go back in time, they were in that situation. There had to be 
um, stewards that came about and helped, you know, make money decisions and things. Well, I look at data the exact same way. A bit is a cent or, or whatever. You could literally equate data, maybe to money or your, or your infrastructure to a certain degree as, as money. You wouldn't just, you don't just give that, this, the stewardship of that to somebody who just makes their own calls whenever they want, right? So you need to watch that as a steward. Now that's where, that's where the CEOs and the board of directors are missing it right now because they aren't watching it. They aren't really watching what's going on. They're getting the reports. They don't really know what kind of reports they should get. Most of the, I'm talking about 80% of the industry out there. They're not getting the reports that they need. They're not getting the information in a succinct manner. They're actually holding their IT folks at arms, eight, at arm's length because they're tired of the data. They're tired of being held captive and going through these long discussions and going away from this meeting with my IT executive completely confused and frustrated <laughs> and um, anxious and everything. I'm tired of that. And I get it. You know, I get that. That's how a lot of our CIOs are making our CEOs feel. Uh, nonetheless, stakeholders, you need to get on it and get, get to it. And there's a way of handling it better at that level. So that's kind of what I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I said, as a recovering engineer, I've learned how to, um, well, I remember at parties when I would tell people what I did as a embedded firmware engineer for a pacemaker company. And I would literally watch the garage door of their eyes glaze over and they'd be looking for an escape, looking for an exit. Right. But it's, it's really just fundamentals of communication about understanding the, the, the receiver of the message and how to format it in there. But right. I see a lot of boards and CEOs naming people. <laughs> Okay, so part of my pro part of our problem in the industry is that there aren't CIOs. People, companies haven't named somebody to have that autonomous, um, you know, role within a company to make these decisions and to deliver strategies and reduce risks um, as a caretaker of the board. Part of my problem is that there's just not enough of those. Right. <laughs> the other half of the problem is the ones who are were appointed because of their technical acumen. Well, that's only part of the problem. That's only part of the challenge, you know, is having, yes, you need to appoint the technical, the person with technical acumen, but you also need to appoint one that knows how to work at that level, work at the C level, because it's a different beast at that level. It's a different beast reporting into boards. So a lot of times stakeholders will appoint the wrong person or, um, or just not allow. Now, the technical acumen is, is key, but then they need to learn just how to deal with that. And that's not a very hard, far stretch, but that's part of what we're here for too, is to help um, both the stakeholders know how to work with and get the information that they need from their, their, um, their IT executive, but also to help those IT executives do what they do better in their role. So when I ask a tactical question and kind of split it into two parts and 
being uh, like a piece of advice for a CEO and a CIO. So apart from telling a CEO to send their CIO to CIO mastermind, what would you tell a CIO in this space? Like one thing, like one question or one thing they could think about in relating to their CIO or asking questions that would help them level up. So I'm talking to the CEO in this situation? For this question, yeah. And then we're okay, going to so, turn it on the CIO in a second. So um, what could I ask? I'm sorry. Help me with that one more time. Yeah. So here's something that like you're talking to a CEO at a, at a party. Let's go pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about their business and all that. And they, they start talking about their CIO. What's like a power question that you could give this CEO to ask that would help improve the relationship with the CIO or you know, foster deeper, more honest communication? What would you tell that CEO to do with respect to their CIO? So they have a CIO currently. Mm-hmm. Let's say that the um, is this CEO holding their CIO at arm's length like many others do? Maybe, maybe that's that, the question. Yeah, maybe that is the question. Do you are, do you keep your CIO at arm's length? Okay. You know, are you afraid of your CIO? What the CIO really has to tell you? You know, um, do you wish that? Or I mean. <laughs> How do you feel after you get a report from your CIO? Like, what's the honest feeling that you, you just like, I don't know what he just said. She said, (laughs) Uh, you know, if that's the case, you got a big problem that can be overcome, but that's the biggest problem. You know, that's one of the biggest problems. You know, if you go away and you don't really know what they say and you don't really have a strategy and you don't know really where you are with your level of your risk at every level, every business process, if you don't know that and you don't feel comfortable with it, then either you have the wrong person in the job or, or you're not running it properly. And it, it's not, like I said, it's not a big fix. It's not like a huge gigantic change. Maybe it is, maybe you need to find, maybe you need to demote that person because they're just too much of a technical person and not the leader that you need. Uh, but those are some of the things that I would delve into, you know, what's the relationship like, what's, you know, what does that look like? Oh, what are the symptoms? And that's the symptoms. The other symptoms might be, you know, um, I just curious about their line items sometimes in their budgets. You know, I would, you know, what does that look like? That's, that's, that's one symptom around cybersecurity per se, but uh, there's other symptoms that I'm not, you know, thinking of right offhand, but th- that's what I would delve into. It's kind of try to figure out what's the symptoms of the relationship. I love that. That's that's exactly what I was looking to have uh, as as a response and as something tactical. Now, from the the CIO's perspective, let's say it's the you know the the Christmas party, for example, and you bump into the CIO at that company. What challenges? What questions are you going to put to the CIO? Well. I would also probably ask, you know, the same type of symptom questions. Are you being held at arm's length? You know, are you, do you have the autonomy that you need? Are you reporting into the board? Are you reporting? Who are you reporting to? Mm. Oh man, you don't know how many people I, 
how many CIOs I, that are named even CIOs or whatever, or IT directors who are reporting into a CFO. Um, that's not necessarily bad, but nine times out of 10, it is because those, <laughs> those positions are completely at odds. They're, mm-hmm. uh, that, that just is the wrong structure for um, technology to be able to serve your company. And that's what you want. You want your you want technology to serve your company in two ways. And the first one is to reduce risk, uh, but also to um, just help you become more efficient. Right. And, and, and so I would also then, you know, delve into, well, you know, as far as CIOs, I mean, where do you get your input from? Where do you really get your influence from? And if they're honest, completely honest, for the most part, it's, you know, it's these forums and it's these uh, networking events and it's, you know, um, uh, you know, societies that get together and stuff like that. But the problem with those is that that's, and then again, they have their space, they have their place, but none of them really allow you to um, open up about your specific situation and what you're dealing with. Maybe you just need to know how to shut up in front of a CEO. And that's the only thing that you need. That's the only thing that you need to improve all the relationships. Just shut up. <laughs> that might be it. And I see that a lot. Actually, I bring that one up because really a lot of times we just need to shut up and let the CEO process the information that we gave them which hopefully is a lot less than you have been given them um, and really just lay out the plan and, and do it from a, a, a position of, um, you know, trust as much as possible. Get yourself, how can you be more trusted? In fact, that's the question. How could you be more trusted by your CEO if you're a CIO? How could you really become more trusted? Sometimes it's tactical things that you need to do, but sometimes you need a person to come in and say, and you're only going to trust this person if they have no skin in the game. This person is actually telling you the truth and you should listen to them on you, for your own benefit. Or sometimes we come in and we side with the stakeholder. Hey, CIO, we don't think you've really done enough. You know, I think that, you haven't prioritized these right or whatever, you know, that could be done. But anyway, that's, I would delve into kind of what, what the relationship is with the CIO and the CEO and where they're, um, where they're effective and not. Yeah. The, the two tactical things, you know, CIO at an arm's length or for the CIO, how do you be more trusted? There's, it's not a technological fix. And what I love about the, approach to that is that it gets to the, you know, we're all humans and we run on emotions among other things. And some of us, you know, are more extroverted about that, but at the core, yeah, I think you've hit upon a, a, a bridge that could be built that could really affect the relationship and have a positive impact on the business. Definitely. I love that. You know that, and the, what does being held at arm's length really look like, though? And I'll be, and if you're listening to me, and you are a CIO or IT executive, here's what it looks like: you're reporting to a CFO. You don't get to report to the CFO. Mm. You're not being invited into the board boardroom to give that report on security. 
or strategy or developing strategy. You don't have the autonomy that you really need to make the effective. And, and I know there's a lot of CIOs out there just like, doggone it, if I had the autonomy that I need, I could, I could turn this company, I could turn this company into a machine. I could affect that bottom line like nobody's business. But I can't because I'm I don't have the I don't have the trust or I don't have this or whatever. You need some advocacy. You need somebody to come in and help you with that. That's powerful. So how can uh, how can people get involved? How can they connect with you? How can you get uh, CIOs into their peer advisory group? And how could CEOs send their CIOs there? Where can people look? So, um, well, you can, I mean, initial, um, you know, discovery, just go to ciomastermind.com. Obviously there's information on there. We guard our groups, um, very tightly. Um, nobody gets into our groups without going through, um, an interview call with a facilitator of the group and a member of the group. Uh, we are looking for those lifelong learners. That's a really important part, piece of this. We're not looking for the know-it-alls. Uh, we need people who want to contribute and to give. Uh, so um, that first step, if, if anyone is interested, and by the way, this offer is not just for CIOs, but it's for the, um, the stakeholders out there too. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to work with us. But um, we have those conversations and we make sure that, uh, you know, the people are coming into groups. It's the, it, the title isn't as important as to the challenges and the situations that you're encountering. Um, and so we, we make sure it would be a fit and we want that experience to be, um, and we also, you know, making sure that we're weeding out any potential vendors because they're pretty you guys are pretty, you vendors are pretty, pretty sharp and smart. <laughs> and you know, I, and by the way, on that note, I will say vendors, I respect you. I love you. We need you. We need your solutions for crying out loud. We really, really do. I just think that it needs to be, um, I think that whole thing needs to be kind of revamped too. how vendors are approaching the CIOs and how the solutioning, like you said earlier, you alluded to the fact that, um, you know, it's a broken system. A lot of times, because where are you getting your trust? If you can't go in trusting that, have you ever noticed that when you go into some type of an initiative, if you don't completely trust that that thing and you don't believe it's going to work, then it doesn't, you know, you want to (laughs) go into an initiative believing, oh my, this thing can't fail. Just the belief goes that far. It'll work. So that's that. (laughs) I always, end, I don't always end, but I'm like, you know, I wish our CIOs would know how to do that more often. Just, have, just shut up. All right. Now it's your turn to talk. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I love the fire and the passion, you know, when you're talking about that. And, and again, I, I, it's, it resonates with me so much because it's not talking about a thing or a box or the cloud or whatever. It's just, you're talking about the, the relationships and the communication and the, the passion and the fire. And I love that. Cool. Yeah. And we have that. Good. Yeah. 
Well, Scott Smeester, thank you so much. I'll post links to CIO Mastermind, how people can get involved and you know, they really should. I, I think every industry needs this. I think at every level, I wish it would be more widespread for more people, but you know, it's, it's been great going behind the scenes and seeing how this works. Cause I, I, I know it works just the approach. So thank you so yeah, much. Absolutely. Um, make sure, you know, that you post that, that, um, case study too, if you would. Oh yeah, absolutely. You well, can post on there. Yeah. Encore electric. I will definitely do that. Yep. Cool. Okay. Thanks. I'm going to hit stop here and then, uh, okay. yeah, good job. Okay. Episodes of this podcast are produced and written by me, Matt Sodnikar. The intro was engineered by good friend Cole Weinman. And our original score theme song, Retro Funk, was composed by previous guest and good friend Randy Wiafe. I also have two requests. If you like this show, please share it with a friend who you think might like it. And also take the time to show them how to listen to a podcast, either on Apple, Transistor, or Spotify. And I know you know somebody out there that would make a fantastic guest. And if you do, please shoot me an email to podcast at thewarmfront.com. Thanks for listening.